0: Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Let me talk to you. Yeah, and we have a lot to talk about because this is a fusion edition of the ODPH, so we're going to give you a little bit of sports, a little bit of entertainment, one-stop shop.
1: And I can tell you right now, we're going to put more effort into this show than they did the NBA All-Star Game.
0: Oh, that is without a doubt a fact. That We have a lot to talk about in that uh, ordeal this weekend and everything else that was going on i shouldn't say ordeal but you know we like i say it's it's a it's a polarizing topic right if now if you
1: watched it it, w- it felt like an ordeal
0: absolutely so we definitely want to get into the conversations but after the show we want to keep them rolling so pad where's everybody go odphpodcast.com right on swing on over to the website check out all the social media accounts sign up subscribe follow interact that's how we keep those conversations rolling check out the t public store link if you want to get, go get some odph swag Go check out the Patreon link, one tier, $2 a month. Shout out to all our amazing patrons. They have their own page on the website. That's how great they are. Also, check out the blog section where we have reviews dropping left and right all during the week. We also have the classified section, which has friends of the show, such as 3 fm Podcast, Dragon Master Games, Nerd Initiative, and many, many more. Also, the directory, Pat, how many providers are we on? Uh,
1: 440,017.
0: Sounds about right to me. That is why he is the statistician to the stars. Also, check out the music section. A lot is going on there with our good friends. Hey. Brian Wolf and the Howlers are doing big things in Austin, Texas. Floodlands is on a cover. I say I,
1: I heard they got something coming, or they're, they're at least going to be on a local radio show here the next couple
0: Yeah, days. they got some big moves happening yeah. locally in the 607. Shout out to the guys there. Um Shout out to the Robots, Tom Jolu, Second Sewer. It takes me a minute to remember everybody because we have so many great musicians that give us their music to play royalty-free so we don't get hit with those DMCAs. You know, Shout out to Tom Jolu. Like I say, he's absolutely killing on nerd initiatives. Turn a Page too, by the way. So if you want to get those uh, bands into your music selections, simple. You go right there and go check out everything and anything that is the ODPH because you can find it at odphpodcast.com. And if you're using hashtags on social media, why not use the hashtag ODPHPod? But let us kick off this edition of the show recapping the weekend that was in the NBA pad. I know you got a lot of feelings about it, so let's get into it. So,
1: yeah, of course, this past weekend was, of course, NBA All-Star Weekend. You know, the weekend where the game means absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. The defense is very optional. But at least, you know, you go into it thinking, you know, the competitions are going to be somewhat decent. And I don't know about you, but, like, this whole weekend just felt like a whole big stinking pile of, you know what,
0: you know, the thing about the All-Star game is it really has gone away from being like a competitive game, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And it's just one for highlights and show. Yep. Which is fine. Like, it is what it is. But to give it the prestige factor mm-hmm. of years past, I I just don't think it's there anymore. No, it's not. I mean, the, the skills competition is kind
1: of hit or miss. It, mm-hmm. it, it depends on who's in it. I mean, usually most years, the three-point contest is can't miss television. Oh, absolutely. The the skills competition, like, okay, it's there. You know, it doesn't really stir the drink for me. It doesn't move the needle. You know, to me, it's like, okay, you can dribble a ball. You can pass. You can, you know, do all of the basic skills of basketball effectively, or the in this case, the fastest, which mm. is like, I feel like that's a prerequisite for even playing in the NBA because high there's a lot of guys who can dribble a ball better than I can, and I would not make an NBA team. Mm. So, like, the fact that, like, oh, you can do it the fastest, like, doesn't really move the needle for me. And then the dunk contest is so goddamn hit or miss, but this year was just especially bad.
0: Well, the problem that they have with the skills competition during the weekend is the three-point competition always has stars involved. Uh One way or another, you'll have at least two or three stars involved. This year was, you know, very special with the challenge that went out mm-hmm. involving Steph Curry and Curry and uh, Sabrina Ionescu,
1: yeah, which was separate from the actual three-point shooting contest, which was won
0: by Damian Lillard, right. But still, that had the buzz around it. Yeah. Unfortunately, the slam dunk competition has not drawn out the star power that it used to. Uh huh. And I think a lot of that has to do with when we got to the point with Blake Griffith, and I'm not blaming him for this, by the way. Right. Right but with him jumping over a car
1: which was uh, the hood of the car not even like the tall section of the
0: car right but still when we're doing over the top props like that sure i think it takes away from the actual ability of dunking and, sure. and and the art of it
1: see i don't mind certain props i remember the one year jalen green when he was with boston put a cupcake on the like very back of the rim on like the yeah. wide, the wide portion had the candle lit and then he went up there, dunked it, and while he was in midair, blew the candle out. Yeah, that's fine. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Like, you know, the car thing, eh, over the top, but it, you got to remember too, and we should know too, that was also a Kia, which is the sponsor of the NBA. So, right. you know, sponsorship and all that, like, I, I get it. But, like, the thing with the dunk contest, it's, it's so hit or miss. And I get guys are afraid to embarrass themselves. In the moment, that's going to be a thing. And for, like, maybe a couple months, that's going to be a thing. But in, like, nine months to a year, most people aren't going to remember. I used to religiously watch the dunk contest. You know, the first one I remember watching was when Dwight Howard put the Superman shirt on mm-hmm. and he put the cape on and all that. Like, there were plenty of misses in those dunks of guys failing to to get the dunk or the trick they were attempting to do because they had a set time limit. You know, and whatever else. Like, I know guys missed it. Do I remember how bad they were or something egregious? No. Like, so I think that's one thing the guys need to get need to get over. You know, I I don't have an issue with them bringing in the G League players. I think it's good exposure for those guys. Sure. Especially, you know, you, you got a great story like last year where Mac McClung came out of nowhere, won the whole thing, came back this year and won the whole thing. You know, I don't have an issue with, with including G League players in these competitions because I think that's good exposure for them and where they might be in a situation where otherwise, you know, they might not get exposure and they might never never get called up. You could have an opportunity where some guy playing for some G League team, you know, does the three point contest and and really shows out and gets all the way to the finals and loses to, you know, pick your three point shooter, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, like whoever. And loses to them and, and and they might get an opportunity from one of the NBA teams going, hey, you know what, we need an extra bench guy to fill in and, and come off the bench and, and get us some points. Why don't we sign you to a contract and, and get you in and, and get you up there? So I don't have any issue with with that. I don't know how you get the incentive for these guys to do the dunk contest because, I mean, let's face it. I agree with some of what Stephen A said on First Take on, I believe it was Monday, where I put, I put some of the blame on this on LeBron because you think of some of the great dunkers over the course of history. Mm-hmm. You know, even Dwight Howard, you know, a lot of dunks in that guy's career. Look up his stats. But like Kobe Bryant, Vince Carter, Dr. J, Michael Jordan, like they've all done dunk contests. You know, even Tracy McGrady did, did dunk contests back when he was playing. But LeBron, for as good as he is, and as great as he is as a player, love him or hate him, he's still a great player. The fact he's you know, twenty plus years in the NBA and he's now got the record for most starts in an NBA All Star game, has not done the dunk contest is just wild to me. And I understand it from the aspect of like, oh, we might you might get hurt, might get this way. Like I understand it, but still, like the fans are ultimately playing paying absurd prices. For this game, I, there's a guy I know on TikTok and he's also puts his stuff on Instagram. He puts full videos on YouTube where he basically goes to arenas and sees how long he can sit there mm-hmm. and, and how long before security will escort him out or whatever else he I saw. He came up on my Instagram reels the other day and he was at the M- NBA All-Star Game. This dude was in the last row of the arena, in like whatever section, five hundred dollars for the NBA All-Star Game in, like, the nosebleed last row. Like, he, he had his phone, and he's pointing his phone in his face. He's like, yeah, let me just show you how far back I am. Like, he showed the court, and then he flipped the camera around, and he he could literally lean back and hit the wall. Like, people are paying absurd prices for this. The least you could do is give him a show. You know, maybe you got to throw an incentive in there. Maybe, if, you know, cash, whatever it is, you know, a donation to the player's charity of choice, or if they have a foundation you know, a donation to their foundation of $100,000, like whatever it is, you know, but you got to do something just because, or or at the least take the next couple of years off with the dunk contest, just get rid of it. Because like, it it, it was cool to see McClung do it again, but it was also kind of boring because last year was exciting because he, like I said, came out of nowhere. I don't think anybody expected the dude from the G League to come up which for those who don't know, the NBA G League is their minor leagues. It's their triple A baseball. Mm. You know, last year nobody expected it. This year it's kinda like, okay, we know what you can do. We've seen your body of work. We we at least expect you to do well. You know, I I, I just don't know what you do, but it's it's awful this past year.
0: I just think that they're going to have to retool this somehow. Mm-hmm. And whether it's a challenge between you know, rookies and G League, I mean sure. that could be something. Sure. Um It's tough to say, but that's the one area that for being an all-star weekend, you don't have star power. Sure. And it's very puzzling. Sure. So to see, which I mean, nothing against Mac winning. I want to stress that. It's great great exposure for him. I hope he does get picked up on a team. But at the same time, nobody was really tuning in. It kind of fell by the wayside. Yep. And that's a situation that if you're going to be putting this on in primetime television. Uh Uh-huh we're living via nostalgia. We're not living via now. Yep. And that is the biggest problem with that competition. So I think what Adam Silver and the company involved are going to have to do is just really retool it. Yeah. If they want to make it a challenge thing, if they want to do the prize money goes to charity, however they however they want to spin it. Oh, yeah. They're going to have to really make a press for star power to be involved because as the stars are showing up for the three-point competition.
1: Oh, yeah. Like, you look at the who was on the three-point competition. Those, those were, like, the definition of you know, a who's who of three-point shooters nowadays.
0: Right. So if you have them, then why are, are we not having more players involved in the dunk competition? Right. That's the thing doing the optic test that just is not computing no matter how you want to spin mm-hmm. it. And then you get to the game itself, and I understand defense is optional. Holy
1: shit. At least, at least in years past, it was fucking fourth quarter when they started playing defense.
0: Right. But the fact that we had a team score over 200 points... 211. Yeah. And... Won by such an outrageous margin by 186. Yeah,
1: so the final score on this was 211-186 to 186, uh, for the, with the Eastern Conference winning. Not going to go through all of the stats, just because we'd be here all day, but just some of the notables. Um, you had one gentleman from the uh, Western Conference here. Let me open up his because I admittedly don't know this guy's last name. Oh, uh, SGA. SGA from the Oklahoma City Thunder had 31 points. Uh, Jokic had 13 points. Kevin Durant had 18 points. Paul George had 13 points. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns put up 50. Yeah. Uh, Steph Curry put up 16. Devin Booker put up 15. Uh, And then on the eastern side, Giannis put up 23. Uh, What is it? Jason Tatum put up 20. Damian Lillard put up 39. Tyrese Halliburton put up 32. Uh, What is it? Barnes put up 16. Jalen Brunson put up 12. You know, uh, then you had uh, Jalen Brown put up 36. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, you just look at some of the team stats for this. It's absolutely fucking absurd. Uh, The Western Conference made 80 uh, field goals on 143 attempts. Eastern did 83 field goals on 146 attempts. Uh, The Eastern Conference took 97 three-point shots. They made 42 of them. Uh, the Western conference took 71 three point attempts and made 25 of them. God, that fucking uh, percentage is awful, mm. you know? And then there were uh, five attempted free throws made between the two teams during the entire thing with four of them being made. Like it, it's like a hundred points in the pain. There were three fouls the entire time. You know, the largest lead was the Eastern conference by 27. Like, there was just nothing exciting about this. And I was listening to the Zach Lowe podcast on uh, my drive today. And I, he had Malika Andrews on there, and they were talking about this. And Malika was, of course, there covering the game for ESPN. Mm. And she was there sitting there watching the game next to a WNBA player. And she didn't say who it was, but the WNBA player was there with their kid. And the kid was sitting there going, come on, why don't they play? Why why don't they at least try? You know, and and I get that like in the moment you're hearing the oohs and ahs for the dunks and the whatever else, it's appealing in person. It sure as shit ain't appealing on TV. I mean, at one point, I know, because I didn't watch this live, I was busy doing other things, but I saw the highlights, and at one point I know that Luca was on the other end of the floor jogging in place, mm-hmm. and, he, and he, was, he was laughing about it. He wasn't even really doing anything.
0: Well, that's the one problem that you have, being on such a primetime market. Yeah. And in such a spotlight that you want to showcase the best of the best. Now, Grant you, in the Pro Bowl, same thing as with oh, the NFL. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All-star game for hockey, kind of same vibe. Baseball has tried making it more incentive-based with the home field advantage rule for the World Series. They
1: did, but they eventually realized, no, that's not doing anything.
0: Right. But in this kind of situation, I think there has to be a little bit of criticism towards the NBA about this. Right. Because the fact that most of the highlights coming out of this game have been nobody's playing defense at all.
1: Right, which is not a good look for the NBA if you're a casual. Mm-hmm. Just tuning in because, like, it's a Sunday, NFL's over, Major League Baseball isn't really getting going. You know, you may or may not be a hockey fan. If you are, your team might be off. If you're not, you're looking for something to watch. NBA's off, so all you got really on sports-wise on a Sunday night because college ain't playing that late. Mm-hmm. Is the NBA All Star game. So if you've got a casual tuning in for the first time in a while, or maybe for the first time, you know at all ever, is it a good look to to those potential casuals to see such little defense played? You know, and I know that was one thing Zach Lowe brought, because, again, listen to Zach Lowe podcast. He brought up on his podcast, like, he was sitting there watching with some friends, and his wife was popping in every now and again. But he had people texting him that, like, aren't super diehard NBA fans. Yeah. You know, they'll watch a game here or there, but, like, they don't watch every game like he does because, hey, it's his job. You know, but they're like, wow, is this really, like, what the NBA is like these days with the defense? Like, is this how a regular game is played? and and obviously he told now this is kind of like in its own separate universe this isn't really how things are but if you don't have that outlet if you are somebody who like doesn't have a friend or doesn't really know anybody who's that into the nba and you sit there and you watch this and unless because let's be honest you can't do this in real life unless you're playing the video game and you move some settings on the video game in a certain way mm. are you really going to sit there and watch this and go yeah this is what i want to watch and spend my time watching over the next couple of weeks and months
0: yeah, that's the problem that you have. And I think that, the like I touched upon, the highlights that you're seeing coming out of this is no defense. Uh huh. The biggest one you're seeing is Jokic and uh, Doncic yeah. coming down the ball, not even dribbling, just passing to each other back and forth with nobody yep. even contesting it. Yep. And I understand this is supposed to be for entertainment purposes. I get it. Oh, yeah. No, I do too. But the big takeaway that you're hearing on a lot of media accounts, not just saying sports media. Right. In general. Right is this is the current state of the NBA question.
1: Right, and I know that everyone's like, oh, it did great in the ratings, which is true. SI.com, which... Didn't realize they were still operating, given current news. Mm. Uh, SI.com's got an article, quote, the NBA announced Tuesday that 11.6 million unique viewers tuned into Sunday's night matchup at Cambridge Fieldhouse in Indianapolis. Average viewership over the course of the game was 5.5 million. Both of those numbers were at least 14% higher than last year. Close. So, like, that's all great and all, but, like, watching this, if you're a casual or you're watching the All-Star game for the first time, are you really expecting people to tune in and watch that again? Because admittedly, I don't really watch the NBA all, all, All-Star game. I'll tune into the skills competition, yeah. usually based on who's who's there and who's participating. But the All-Star game, I don't give two flying fucks about mm-hmm. just because I know it's, it's a nothing game. I would tune in if they would take it seriously. Like those stories we always hear about the dream Team practices back in the day mm-hmm. and the legendary matchups that Michael Jordan go up on on that like we've heard about for like 30, 40 years, whatever it is at this point. but we've never seen because there's not video of it. And I'm not saying any of these guys are on like the NBA Dream Teams level, but, but just for argument's sake, you know th- that's the kind of matchups we, we dream about and we hear about and we'd love to see. And the All-Star game is that opportunity for those matchups because uh, let's let's be honest i like the east versus west matchup i i i got why they did the teams and they did the drafting thing but yeah too convoluted you know kind of lost its luster after the first year in my opinion Mm. you know but that's this is where you can get those opportunities where in one of his last year i think it might have been his last year lebron on kobe LeBron, yeah. LeBron Garden Kobe and LeBron taking it about as fucking seriously as you could because they never got that finals matchup. We never got that like highest level, highest tension matchup those two could have. That's the kind of shit I if like if I knew these guys were going to take it seriously, I'd fucking tune in from the start. You know, if if I knew we we're going to get like a Kawhi Leonard versus uh I, I can't say Steph Curry because they're in the same conference, but like a Kawhi Leonard, like a Jalen Brunson or something like that. Okay. It's If it's like Kawhi guarding Jalen Brunson, and I know they're going to take it super seriously, I'm like, you know what? Some of these matchups, I'm going to tune in for at least part of it until they sub them out. I might tune out after, but I'll tune in for part of this.
0: Yeah, this is a situation that, unfortunately, I don't think there's a right answer to how to fix it. Right. Because you have to really spark the players to really – Treat this like a playoff game,
1: and they're already paid for this game. I know. Mm-hmm. I know it's been thrown out. Like, oh, give them a, a bonus for winning this game. They they already get paid for this game. The winning team gets like a hundred thousand dollars per player. Losing team gets twenty five thousand dollars per player. So, I, I mean, if like you want to up the winning amount, okay, sure. You know, I can I can understand that. But like, I don't know what you do about this. In in my opinion, keep the voting. So at least you got, you know, the accolade and there. Get rid of it for a couple of years. Get, oh. get rid of it for a couple of years and then have, like, a basketball summit of, like, some of the greatest basketball players in NBA history and and just put your heads together. Like, get the Players Association involved because Lord knows you can't get anything done without uh, the Players Association involved. And that's not a knock. Just, hey, it is what it is. Get the Players Association involved. Get the NBA front office involved. And then get, like, you know, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, you know, uh, I Allen Iverson, you know, uh, LeBron James, and, and, and just some of the great NBA players throughout history, and go. All right, what can we do to make this better?
0: The only way you make it better is if you make it the incentive for home field during the or home court during the playoffs.
1: I mean, but then you kind of cheapen the regular season. Well, the only the only other thing I think you could do is I know that some players complain that like if you're not in the NBA All Star game, you get like a week off for this thing. Yeah. But when it comes to the players participating in this, once you get to the media and the meet and greets and the whatever else, you realistically only ever get like one, maybe two days off for this thing. So I think if you want to make it like a full week off for the NBA, you know, obviously the, non, uh, the non-participants the get like maybe 10, 12 days, whatever it is, whatever it works out to be. But then if you make it a full week off so that at least the, the participants get some time off – And that way there might be some incentive there because, like, hey, if I get hurt, there's not really going to be that big of an issue or something because I got that time to recuperate.
0: Uh, I don't think they would do it because it's too much money involved. Yeah. That's the problem because we're talking a business. Yeah, that's true. I think the only way the message is going to get sent there is if it's really impacting the bottom line. But that's why I say the home court thing might be something that they would have more investment in. But then we also have to see how the in-play tournament works next year, too. Right. Because after that whole, you know, quote-unquote new car smell goes away. Yeah. You know, because they
1: played and they balled out for the in-season tournament. Right. But But, but then again, half a million dollars per player was on the line.
0: Right. So unless they want to try doing something like that for the All-Star game, that's going to be a question that's above my pay grade. So I don't know. Because I think the only thing that they can do is if there's enough fan – I don't want to say outcry uh-huh. because I think that's too strong. Yeah. But if there's enough fans that are very mad about it and the ratings start going down.
1: I think next year the ratings are definitely going to go
0: down. Well, you, you would think, but we have, to, we have to wait and see because mm. the only thing that could be the saving grace next year is if LeBron goes on his farewell tour. That's true. And that will be huge. That well, number let's will make be one, Let's
1: make one thing clear. That man, like for whatever he said at the at, over the weekend, like oh I don't know if I'm gonna have a farewell tour. I'm gonna have Tim Duncan
0: it. Ain't no chance. He's if you've
1: watched the NBA for long enough, you and listen. This isn't a knock against him. It's just my opinion. If you've watched the NBA long enough and you and you know kind of how LeBron operates, there's no fucking chance in hell he's pulling a Tim Duncan.
0: There's no chance. I was there's gonna say. no shot. He's taking that farewell tour. Oh, absolutely. There's no chance he's going to skip it. In fact, that'll be the the story next season.
1: Because I don't doubt next year's is last year. I know he's maintained for years. He wants to play with his son on the NBA, according to some stuff I've read. Mm -hmm. Might not be able to hang around long enough for that.
0: No, so that'll be the issue, and I think that we're going to have to watch that as the season finishes up this year and then goes into next. Yeah. But now it's going to be crunch time for the NBA. A lot of storylines for the teams moving forward. Brooklyn's a mess. Brooklyn is a mess. They fired, <laughs> they fired their head coach. Like the day after the All-Star game. Yep, Jock Vaughn is gone. And, I mean, what is going on in Milwaukee? That's a big oh. question mark. Are the Knicks going to make a move with all the draft picks they have? Are, the, are they a star away? Like, what, like there's so many storylines right now. Like, that's what the focus should be on. J.J. Redick first, Austin Rivers? No, that was another thing, too. <laughs> I was avoiding that whole mess because, yeah. That's a mess. But this is where we should be talking about the games and the matchups and what's going to happen with the season moving forward because even with Oklahoma City still in the mix there and the Clippers as well.
1: Minnesota's the number one seed in the West.
0: Mm -hmm. Like, There's a lot of crazy things that should be coming out, but this is what's kind of looming over the NBA right now is the lackluster performance at the NBA All-Star Game. So, Page Society, we put this in your hands. How do you fix this problem? Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag OdpagePod. Did you watch the All-Star game, and what was your thoughts on it? Were you happy with the performance you saw? Do you think they should be playing a little tougher defense, so to speak, and make this a real competitive game? What is your thoughts on this? We definitely want to have that conversation. And How is your team faring going into the latter half of the season? Hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Do you like
2: comic books? What about movies and TV shows?
0: Well, we may be the show for you.
2: We're Hops Geek News, a weekly podcast that discusses comics, movies, and TV shows while featuring a beer of the week.
0: Every week we chat about what we messed up on the week before, and then we dive into what we're reading and watching, as well as some news.
2: We then wrap it up with a geek-themed topic of the week.
0: You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts by searching Hops Geek News. Cheers. Cheers. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we are returning to the world of The Walking Dead. Uh-huh. Is this really happening, Pat? Uh, after many, many years, yes. Don't lie to me. This is really happening. We, If you're a new listener to the ODPH, first and foremost, thank you for checking us out. Drop a rating on your favorite podcatcher. We have been watching The Walking Dead and covering that on here since its inception.
1: Uh, roundabouts, yeah.
0: I mean, obviously, since we got going with the entertainment edition yes. of the show, yes. so yes. yes, I mean, seven years now we've been going to be doing this. Yep. And we have followed Rick Grimes and company through the zombie apocalyptic world religiously, and, religiously. And we have been hearing rumors ever since he decided to leave the show uh-huh. about this movie that was going to come out, and we have been hearing bits and pieces throughout the years then Michonne was added uh-huh and then it was going to go from a movie into a series and there has been so much talk over the years we finally received a trailer uh-huh. and debuting this sunday on amc tv february 25th 2024 we now have the walking dead the ones who live uh-huh so pad let us break this down uh-huh
1: uh, so yeah, like you said, this is premiering February 25th on AMC also gonna be on AMC plus. So whatever date it is for that, check your AMC plus subscription if you have that, but yeah, it's, it's Rick Grimes, Andrew Lincoln returning to play the role, a role we have not seen him in since uh, season nine, which was quite a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also returning to reprise her role as uh Michonne as Denai Guerrero. Uh, who left the show uh, in Season 10, specifically Episode 13. So it's been a hot minute since we saw those folks uh, because just looking at the IMDb page. Uh, season 9, for those of you who don't remember, was back in 2018. Started in uh, uh, October 2018 and the season, but I know he was out of there before this. The season ended in March of 2019, so it's been off uh, few years since that uh and then for Denai guerrera last episode we saw her in was aired on march 22nd of 2020 so it's it's been let's just round numbers f- uh, four and five years you know, five and four years respectively since we've seen these characters on screen show has then since ended although hey
0: has it really you know <laughs> they,
1: they've left the door open that they could come back and do more seasons if they want to down the
0: line right
1: obviously the uh the the Daryl show is still going. That's got season two coming here soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had the Maggie and Negan show in New York take place. I think that already came out. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it, but you know I'll get around to it at some point. But this is the fur, you know, the latest one in the in the spinoff of the mainline series. Where let's be honest, at least in my opinion. You know, some of the fan favorite characters, because I listen, I know the one instance in Internet culture, the least I could think of, where if blank dies, we riot. Mm-hmm. The only time I believe, and I know you agree with me, the only time we believe that'll actually happen is, is if Daryl Dixon ever gets killed off on anything, The Walking Dead. The, yeah. f- the fan base is rabid for Norman Reedus, and, and deservedly so. He's a good dude. Uh, but no, the fan favorite characters, Andrew Lincoln as Rick Grimes, and Denai Guerrero returning as Rick and Michonne, that for me, the show kind of took a dip after Rick left. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of lost its focus, it lost its luster, if you will. And to see them coming back and, and potentially uh, finishing off the character stories, it's going to be interesting to see.
0: Ever since this story came out via Image Comics in October of 2003, mm-hmm. the Robert Kirkman, Tony Moore, and Charlie Edlard story of Rick Grimes surviving in the zombie apocalypse has taken many twists and turns. It finally, ended its publication in 2019. So, or, so definitely, it's had its fair share of stories. Yep, and to see it spin off like it has with Fear of the Walking Dead, which I've always said on the show, uh, in the latter portions of their of their run has been very good, even overtaking the flagship show. Last season, my opinion, mm, kind of decided to take some risks, and I don't think they paid off. Then we also had the teenage spinoff show for two seasons, Worlds Worlds Apart, I believe.
1: Uh, That or Worlds Beyond, something like that. Yeah.
0: And you can tell by our voice that we're at this stage about Walking Dead fatigue because we've reached a point with this story that... The spin-offs have not exactly been home runs, yeah. To, to put it mildly, I mean, we had what Tales of the Walking Dead, Tales the Dead,
1: yeah, which was yeah, hit or miss,
0: very hit or miss. And then, like we said, the Teenage Show, which, which
1: I think you and I collectively gave like maybe I think I only gave it one episode, and I couldn't. I'm like, no, nah. you gave it. I think maybe two. Mm-hmm. You you gave it slightly more, but yeah, no, we just, we just couldn't.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was just yeah. With Worlds Beyond, it just I couldn't. Like it just it really lost my focus. Yeah. And then with Fear of the Walking Dead, like I say, that really kind of gave me some hope, like, okay, maybe we can go in some different directions. Right. But to see now everything coming back full circle, because let's face it, The Walking Dead is Rick Grimes. Yep. So if you're going to have your star leave the show, which, I mean, listen, at the time it is what it is.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I I get it. You know, at that point he was... You know, nine seasons or arguably 10 years into playing mm. a show. That's a long time to just be doing one thing because this isn't exactly like a lot of other TV shows where like you're going to New York or Chicago or L.A. or someplace overseas for, you know, a couple weeks or whatever. And then you're off like you're going to like remote locations in the middle of Georgia Filming not just during the day, but at night. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the other thing, too, is you're you're getting a wonky, complicated filming schedule just because of the nature of the show, you know, and, and it's a lot, you know, it's a lot to sacrifice. It's a lot to do. And, you know, who knows how many roles and opportunities, you know, some of these actors and actresses had to pass up on you know to keep doing the show because they love it and then and the then the feeling of family family yeah you know and and whatever else the camaraderie that they wanted to stick around for so i whenever a, sh- a character wants to leave a sh- or an actor or an actress wants to leave a show i don't fault them at all you know but it, this one uh, it feels
0: interesting well you can't fault them i mean that's the one thing about it cuz we often forget as fans right that live action is a lot different than print action yes and obviously, there's certain things you can do on TV. There's certain things you can't do on TV because, well, <laughs> reasons. In this situation, Andrew Lincoln literally had so much time invested in the show that if you yeah. uh, that if you needed a break, that's fine. Yeah, it's just a tough thing to leave a show that you're the star of. Yes, even though Norman Reedus's Daryl Dixon had been skyrocketed to you know mega stardom, mm-hmm. there's still only so much you can do. But at that point, too, when you deal with the pop culture audience. There's always a window that you have to watch. Right. Because when you start doing the same old thing, and it's tough to say with The Walking Dead that a lot of it had very similar themes. Yeah. To see how it all plays out, yeah, I could understand why he wants to take a break. And then when you turn it over to Norman's character, the show went into slightly different directions.
1: It turned it over to Norman. There was the the time jump, mm-hmm. you know, and everything else. Like, Which, you know, obviously when you do adaptations from print to media, whatever it is, movie, TV, video game, whatever, there's going to be differences. You know, everything can't be done in a one-to-one comparison. Obviously, there's some exceptions that get real damn close to their uh, source material. But, you know, that's not the case for everything. Mm-hmm. But obviously in the comics, spoiler alert, you know, at that point, Rick wasn't dead. Right. You know, or what we consu- assumed was dead. You know, he was still very much around and a very much an integral part of that show. Mm-hmm. So, when you're trying to follow at least the framework of the source material, obviously the cogs and inner workings had changed a little bit given what the story had done and how it had developed over the years. You know, you got to adjust. And, and they. Ad- I feel like they adjusted and I feel like they pivoted in a way that kind of made sense. But at the same time, felt like it took them a little while to figure out what they wanted to do.
0: Well, I think that's the situation that you have because obviously we know that Rick was written off the show that the CRM, the Civil Republic Army, uh-huh. or military, I should say, rather, yeah. picked him up in the helicopter yep. and took him away. And Michonne went to go chase him because she still felt that he was alive after that bridge explosion that yeah. had happened. So they did give himself an out, so they wanted to come back to the character because, obviously, Rick deserves the end of his story. Oh, yeah. And I think that he wanted to do it on his own terms, so to speak. Yeah. Because, obviously, in the comic, his character succumbs to an ultimate demise right? in a, you know a very dramatic fashion that ties into the end of the series. Sure. So to see now Rick returning in this manner, I think this kind of gives maybe a new – like I say – a new breath of fresh air uh-huh. to the franchise because, let's face it, Rick and Michonne are two of the most popular characters of this entire franchise when it was in its big run. Oh, yeah. And it was the biggest show on TV. To come back to it, I think there's a lot of high expectations involved. Right. But I think the time off might have actually been good than bad. Right. I am just more in shock that this thing is actually really happening where you have a premiere date. Right and we're actually going to have episodes to cover because I believe it's only three episodes.
1: That's what the IMDb page is, is currently showing.
0: Well, because originally, like I said, it was talked about being a movie, so if they split it right. up in that way, right. well, that makes I, sense. I was
1: trying to dig up the information of like when they actually announced this thing, but the only thing I can remember, and this is you know, five-year-old information or whatever it is. Yeah, five-year-old information at this point. Uh, but they announced the movie, if I'm not mistaken, on the episode of Talking Dead right after Rick Grimes quote-unquote died. Mm-hmm. where there was the whole bridge sequence and, and he looked like he was gone and whatever else, that if memory serves, Scott Gimple was on that episode of Talking Dead with Chris Hardwick and whoever else was on there. And at that point, he announced, oh, well, Rick's not done yet. We're going to do a series of movies with him. And they were going to release them theatrically Yeah. when that was originally announced. And then things happened, plans changed, and then it was turned into, oh, well, we're going to do a TV series. And six episodes was thrown about, an entire season was thrown about. But now it's looking like it's only three episodes.
0: Well, like I say, I think because they split up the movie, whatever they're going to do. Which
1: we've seen how that works in the past, looking at you and humans. Yeah.
0: So there is a lot of high risk, high reward with this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I think for the fan base that's looking for something to get excited about with this. This might be it. This, I think, is his last shot, to be honest with you. Yeah. I think the problem that you have now is they've tried doing the spinoffs. Yeah. Some have been good. Some have been bad. I mean, worlds beyond. I think we've all agreed Ooh. numerous times in this segment that it's probably the worst one they've done. Yeah, just did not connect on any which way, shape, or form. Yeah, Teen, teens in the zombie apocalypse doesn't really work. Interesting
1: concept, did not work in execution.
0: Mm-hmm. Dead city is the one with Maggie and yes. Negan. Yes, and that one, obviously, knowing how their characters are, yeah, surprising that it's what it is. At
1: least that one, I haven't heard too much negative or positive.
0: It's been okay. Like, we haven't done this. I might do this for a Patreon episode, but it's been just okay. Like, there's not, like, the wow factor there. Sure. The Daryl Dixon one, I think, is slightly better, but it's also very, I don't want to say cliche, but it's, Uh it's, it's very, in my eyes, they're not really doing anything out of the ordinary there.
1: Uh, according to Rotten Tomatoes, uh, on the Tomato Meter, the critics score, uh, out of 54 reviews, it has an 80%. And on the audience score, with over 250-plus ratings, it has an audience score of 78% for Season 1 of Walking Dead, Dead City.
0: Okay. So, mostly favorable. Well, I think it's mostly favorable because it's popular characters. That's true. And I think that that's where, tying it back to this show, I think this is where we have the biggest chance for a win for The Walking Dead. hmm Because, obviously... Two of your biggest stars are returning. Yeah. There is an unclosed story here. Yeah. And I think the fan base that had been tuned off is definitely going to show up for this. Uh Uh-huh. The biggest question is, what's the pop culture audience going to do? Right, That's the biggest X factor in the entire equation. Because if they come back for this, and let's say it's a big smash. Sure. That'll spark up more debate about, okay, can we come back and do more shows? If this doesn't work, for whatever reason...
1: They might have to do a reset on things. And I'm not talking reset the whole show, but they might have to figure out, all right, what do we do?
0: Well, I think that's the situation that we're now seeing with Marvel to kind of make a good comparison here. Mm -hmm. There's something to be said about oversaturation and fatigue. Yeah. And when a show is hot and you have spinoffs coming left and right... yeah. It can be a good or bad thing depending on what it is. Albeit though, the Walking Dead has had at least six spin-offs.
1: Uh you've got the mainline show. Yep. Then you've got Fear the Walking Dead. And yep. I'm looking up the various round tomato scores, but you've got this one coming with Rick and Michonne. Right. You've got the Daryl Dixon show. Mm-hmm. You've got The City. And then you've got uh Tales of the Walking Dead. Yeah.
0: Six. And World's Beyond. Yeah. Yeah. So like I say, You have got so much here that it could be too much too soon and the fan base turned off. So that's why the importance of this show, if you're a Walking Dead fan, you're going to want to check this out. Right. I think the trailer has looked good for what we've seen of it. I'm interested. I'm at least interested to watch it and definitely will be watching the first episode. Mm -hmm. But I'm very curious to see how this is all going to play out overall because this is a situation that if this doesn't do well, I'm very fe- fearful for the rest of the franchise. Now, granted, they're still going to be having shows come out. Oh, yeah. But it comes a time, too, when instead of going, hey, there's a new Walking Dead show coming. It's going to be like, "Oh shit!" yeah, here comes another one. Uh,
1: so I spent the last couple of minutes pulling up various Rotten Tomatoes scores uh, for the spinoff shows. Uh, the only one I still got to pull up is Fear the Walking Dead. But uh, for Walking Dead, Dead City, as I mentioned, uh, critics score is 80%. Audience score is 78%. Uh, for The Walking Dead, Daryl Dixon, which I had to double-check that was the actual name. I, for- mm. I forgot about
0: that. Well, because it was originally supposed to be Daryl and Carol.
1: Daryl and Carol, yep. Uh, but for the Daryl Dixon spinoff show, it has a uh, critic score of 71% and an audience score of 66%. Uh, for The Walking Dead World Beyond, it has a critic score of 46% and an audience score of 35%. Uh, and then for Tales of the Walking Dead, it has a critic score of 74% and a audience score of 56%.
0: So like I say, this show has got a lot of writing on it. Yes. Cast wise, it looks good, obviously, with Rick and Michonne both coming back, Denai Guerrera and Andrew Lincoln, that does help. That helps. Terry O'Quinn is coming back, is going to be making his debut as part of the CRM. Uh huh. And I'm assuming he's going to be the major villain of this.
1: Well, he is a major general, which admittedly I'm not super intimately familiar with all the military rankings and such, but major general sounds pretty high
0: up Mm -hmm. there. And obviously, Pollyanna McTosh is playing Jadis again, who we know from the series, yep. who's been working with this group for quite some time, and how it involves Rick is going to be anybody's question mark. Yeah. After that, it's really wide open, but it's going to be dealing with the CRM and what Rick's involvement in there and Michonne finding him.
1: Uh, looked up the Fear of the Walking Dead cr- uh, Round Tomato score, uh, critics 73% audience, and this is average audience score 58.
0: Is that a combination of all seasons?
1: Uh, I would imagine so. Okay,
0: because yes. well, I can understand why it'd be a little lower because we've talked about this many times. Seasons one and two of uh, Fear not so good.
1: Uh, season one has got a uh, season one. This looks like it's a critic's got a seventy six percent. Season two is seventy, and then season three is eighty four percent. Season f- or season three is eighty four percent. Season four is eighty percent. Season five is fifty five percent. Uh, Season six is 89%. Season seven does not have anything listed there. Uh, And then season eight is 60.
0: Makes sense about the 89 because that was the anthology series, if I'm not mistaken. So that being said, we are returning to the world of the walking dead pad. What is your thoughts on this?
1: I'm excited just because, you know, it's nothing against, you know, Daryl and, and the other characters from the walking dead, but the show for me was really about Rick Grimes. You know, it's how it started. It was it was him and Shane riding in the car, sitting there, and he gets shot and he wakes up, you know, after being unconscious for I don't even know if they ever said, but unconscious for a period of time in the hospital, and shit has hit the fan in the absolute worst way possible. You know, it's the it's the pilot of a TV series I've seen more times than probably anything else on television. Clone Wars might be the only thing that beats it I've seen the first episode more of than Walking Dead. But like Once the show left, I still watched it and I still enjoyed it to a certain level, but I didn't enjoy it to the same level I did when Andrew Lincoln was there. Mm. So to see Andrew Lincoln come back and play the character, maybe one more time, who knows? We'll have to wait and see how this plays out and see what the future holds because, you know, as we say, never say never. I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see where they go. I'm excited to see see how this happens because it's been a while since we've seen him. It's been a while since they've touched on that story, at least for the casuals and, and even for the semi diehards like myself, you know. It's been a while since we've seen that storyline, so it's going to be interesting to see how they get back into it. It's only three episodes, so there's not a lot of time for fluff. There's not a lot of time for filler. So I feel like it's going to be crazy you-know-what-to-the-wall
0: action. It's what they need to do. And I think for this franchise, this is hit or miss. This is make or break, however you want to define the stakes. Yep. Stakes are very high because obviously the fans have been waiting for this with Andrew Lincoln and Denai Guerrero to finally return to these roles. Yeah. Terry O'Quinn is going to make a great villain. He's locked from Lost. Yeah. So... This will be an interesting dynamic between the three. And then we just really need to give the fans something to really sink their teeth into with this. If this turns into a letdown, I think this will be very catastrophic, in my opinion, for the it, franchise moving forward.
1: It's definitely going to be a hit for the franchise because this was a franchise that once upon a time, when the show was on Sunday nights, going head-to-head with Sunday night football, could often match or exceed the ratings Sunday night football did on national television.
0: Yeah. Because
1: for our overseas listeners, you don't need some sort of special cable package to get Sunday night football here in the States. It's on regular cable. You need, you know, you need to have at least some sort of cable package to get AMC here in the States. So the fact that it was able to meet and sometimes exceed Sunday night football says a lot about the franchise. Mm-hmm. There are high expectations with this. The fans got high expectations, and understandably so. And hopefully they can meet them.
0: Yeah, so it's going to be a real interesting vibe. Sunday night, February 25th, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on AMC. We will be recapping that first episode next week. But in the meantime, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPagePod. What is your thoughts about the return of Rick and Michonne to the world of television? Because we're going to be talking about The Walking Dead, The Ones Who Live. What's your thoughts? Excited? Not excited? Let's have that chat, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
2: Hi, guys. This is Macroom. I'm the writer of Inferno Go Red, and you're listening to the ODPH
0: Podcast. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and we have to recap a wild weekend in the UFC. Holy shit. Yeah, the UFC put on a fantastic card this weekend. Yeah. One generating a lot of headlines. And, Pat, which one was that? That was UFC
1: 298 taking place from the Honda Center in Anaheim, California, as part of what we found out on Monday, TKO Takeover.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on with that, and especially we're not going to be addressing a lot going on in the land of pro wrestling, but Michael Chandler showing up on... Yo, Monday Night Raw calling Holy out shit. Conor McGregor has been making the rounds. If they
1: start doing that more often and even vice versa, I'm all
0: for it. Well, you know, we've talked about it was possibly going to be happening in just one manner. We did not know, but they definitely are trying to draw up some attention to the UFC because obviously after this event, we've been talking about the road to UFC 300.
1: Uh, I And I just had a thought. Because I mentioned the vice versa. Can you imagine if we're at like UFC 300 or whatever it is? Because UFC 300, is that before or after Mania? Let's look. Oh, it's after Mania. Uh, well, anyways. But can you imagine for like a UFC event or whatever, like they're in between fights talking and it's just like the, it's the three announcers at Octagon side just talking, whatever, and you just hear in the background, ladies and gentlemen, mine and Paul Heyman comes out or something. Oh, my
0: God. I don't doubt that happens around uh, two ninety nine. two ninety nine. Could be. I think they're going to really want to make a big push for it as they're going to want to push for UFC 300, but we have to get there first. And yes, uh, some fights got a little ruled out too, which we'll get into, but yeah. obviously a big card. We got to recap this week.
1: Yes. Yeah, so we're going to start on the main card. And the first fight on the main card was in the middleweight division where Anthony Hernandez defeated Roman, uh, Kapil- Kapilov via rear naked choke submission at three minutes and 23 seconds of the second round.
0: Solid fight. Yeah. Really thought this one was a great pace setter for the rest of the card. Yeah.
1: Good open fight. Never, nothing wrong with that. Uh, Next up, it was in the bantamweight division where Murab Deveshvili, uh defeated Henry Cejudo via the unanimous decision uh, 29-28, 29-28, and
0: 29-28. Well, this is interesting. Marab, I think, just punched his ticket for a title shot. Uh, obviously, when Algermaine Sterling was there, he did not want to fight his teammate. Uh-huh. So he had been waiting for Sterling to move up, which he did. Uh-huh. To featherweight, so this opens up a lot of doors for him and shutting down Sohudo like he did. That's a big win. Oh, I yeah. understand Sohudo wanted to retire again and, and try doing the whole thing in the cage after. Oh, I heard about this. And Dan, well, you know what? Dana was right. I'm going to stand with him about this one. Sohudo did it the first time, dropped the gloves, said he's goodbye, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You can't do that a second time. You
1: know, he's yeah, I'll give Dana that. Yeah,
0: be right. You can't. So, a huge win for Mirab. I think he's got a title shot locked up. Uh, looking no at his record,
1: that. I'm not going to run through the whole thing, but Morab's um, record dude has not lost since a UFC fight night in April of 2018, where he lost to Ricky Simon via guillotine choke submission. Yeah. So the dude was seven and four at the time. He has then rattled off 10 wins in a row. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'd say you've earned your title shot. Uh, Jose Aldo, Peter Yan, Henry Cejudo, Marlon Moraes, Cody Stammen, John Dodson,
0: just to name a few. Yeah, he's definitely done it. He looked dominant in this one, too. He really took the fight to Cejudo. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't want to say Cejudo looked past his prime, but... He definitely did not have the heart in it. Father time is catching up to him. Sorry, just my opinion. Yeah, Uh,
1: The next up was in the welterweight division where Ian Machado Gary defeated Jeff Neal via split decision. Uh, Two judges scoring the contest, 30-27. The third judge scoring the contest, 28-29.
0: Well, this is one thing that we knew going into this. It was going to be a lot closer than anybody thought. Oh, yeah. And this is one with Jeff Neal involved. He's as honest to God. He's as technical as it gets. There really is no super crazy knockouts behind him. He is just solid in every fight he's in. Uh-huh. So to see Neil step up against Gary, who, I mean, let's face it, is one of the fighters the UFC is really, really behind and really give him a challenge going to split. I think that's a testament to Neil's skills. Yeah. And Neil's then, no slouch. Yeah, to Gary himself, too. So that being said, Gary immediately after the fight called out Colby Covington Hey-o. and said, give me him. I'm going to retire him. Ooh, I honestly, I might, be,
1: I might be a Gary fan now.
0: I think this is a brilliant fight to make. And I oh, think they shit. need to do it.
1: Uh, Ian, uh, Ian Machado, Gary undefeated uh, in his professional fight record, 14 wins, no losses, seven wins by knockout, one by submission, six by decision. Holy
0: fuck. Yeah. He's no joke. Like he's, he's very, very good. And this was a great test for him with Neil. Cause I yeah. think Neil along with like Neil Magny, does not get enough credit like they're very solid fighters right they don't do the crazy trash talk they just yeah. get in there and they go yeah. so like i say if you can fight somebody like that and this yeah. is a real test to see what gary has gary passed the test well
1: and you bring up the colby covington aspect and it would make sense looking at the usc.com slash rankings uh, the rankings uh they have been updated uh, and ian machado gary moved up four positions he's now in the number six position uh right ahead of him in the number five position
0: Colby Covington make it happen
1: so I mean if you follow the logical progression of rankings which who the fuck does these days hi looking at you Tony Khan <laughs> uh you know logically Colby Covington would be next uh and let's put it this way win lose or draw if, he, if uh well win lose yeah win lose or draw uh Gary wins uh, I'm a Gary fan
0: yeah no I think a lot of people are rooting for him I loved how he just came out and said give me him and yeah. he literally called the shot this is box office. Make it happen, Dana.
1: Yeah. And then, uh, and your co main event of the evening was in the middleweight division. Robert Whitaker defeated Paolo Costa, the unanimous decision. Two judges scoring the contest, 29-28. The third scoring the contest, 30-27.
0: <sighs> I said this on Patreon, and I go, every time that I root for Robert Whitaker, he loses. We need to start a counter for every time you say that. Yeah. And I. And it's more than five at this point. Yeah. No, it's legit. And I like Whitaker. I'm not against him. Like, I hope he wins. And I actually said, I, this is the time the streak broke. Because I was like, I hope he wins. Costa, I just don't think it has it in him anymore. I think he was too focused on getting out of the UFC at one point. Obviously, Adesanya embarrassed him completely. He's only
1: 32, so it's not like he's on the back half of his career.
0: Right. But, you know, when you when you get to a situation where, like, the Adesanya fight and you talk so yeah. much, I, I'm not mm. saying this is like Atlanta and New England. But, Uh, you know, you might have a point. I think this is, he has a mental, he got rattled. Yeah. He has a mental thing with how he got rattled by Adesanya. And this is a fight that Whitaker, like, listen, Whitaker is as solid as it comes. Like he's along that same line as Jeff Neal, but Whitaker goes in there and he scraps. And that's exactly what he did here. The question now is where do we go from here with him? Right. I honestly don't know. Uh, I think a lot is going to have to deal with duplessis De and, and the future there. Right. Because uh, obviously... He's... Whitaker
1: currently number three. Yeah. Uh, ahead of him is Israel Adesanya and Sean Strickland. Mm-hmm. And then obviously Diplessis is the champ.
0: Yeah. So I, I honestly don't know where we're going with him from here.
1: No, I agree with you with the whole Whitaker thing, though, because just looking at his record, he is the streakiest fighter I've seen in quite some time because he lost to Israel Adesanya in tw- October 2019. Then he rattled off three wins in a row. Darren Till, Jared Caninier, Colin Gastelum. Lost to Adesanya again in February of 2022. Came back, beat Marvin Vittori in September of that same year. Lost to Duplessis in July of last year. Came back and won this fight, you know, against Paulo Costa. So who the fuck knows what he's going to do in his next fight? Uh, word to the wise, if you're betting on this man in Vegas, don't.
0: Yeah. Streaky. Very streaky. I mean, that's the only thing about him that I don't like is yeah. just some fights he shows up, something he doesn't. But this one, I think you definitely want to make a statement like I'm still relevant in this division. Yeah, and
1: I, I think you're right about getting back to Paulo Costa because looking at his record, he was 13-0 after beating Yoel Romero in uh, August of 2019. Then he had that loss to Adesanya where Adesanya knocked him out in the second round lost to Marvin Vittori, unanimous decision, beat Luke Rockhold, unanimous decision, and then this loss to Robert Whittaker. Something's got him rattled.
0: Yeah, and I think that for him, I think leaving the UFC might be the best option, to be honest with you. Right. Just calling it like I see it.
1: Yeah. Uh, And then we get to the main event of the evening, which was Alexander Volkanovsky defending his UFC featherweight belt against Ilya Topura. uh, And shocking everyone, Uh, Topura emerged victorious, knocking out Volkanovsky at 3 minutes and 32 seconds of
0: the second round man did not see this happening.
1: I, you know what? I'm, I'm not sitting here and saying I'm a soothsayer. I had a thought and I had a feeling about this Mm -hmm. just because I saw the press conference that took place Thursday or Friday, whatever day it was. And there was the moment where if you remember when Conor McGregor was fighting Jose Aldo, I believe it was UFC 205 in New York uh, or wherever the hell it was. Um, and 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 Connor reached over because he was on one side of the table. Dana's in the middle. Jose Aldo's on the other side. And Connor reached across Dana and across the stage a little bit, and he took Jose's belt. And he and he talked all that shit. And he talked a big talk and sat there going, "Oh yeah, well, we'll see if he can back it up." Jose Aldo, different breed. No, be all this blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Then we got to the fight and what happened? Connor knocked his ass out in like the first thirty seconds of the round, whatever first round whatever it was. And almost the same thing happened this past week for the press conference for this fight, 298, where Ilya grabbed Volkanovsky's belt from across Dana and held it up in front of Volkanovsky and was talking all sorts of trash. Mm -hmm. And I I wasn't sure, but there was a part of me that went, oh, my God, are we about to see it again? Because it's the featherweight division. It's the belt Conor fought uh, Aldo in. Um, are we about to see this shit again like i'm like there might be a chance
0: yeah this is one i mean you and uh mike from the multiverse of badness shout out to mike called this and honestly i was sitting there thinking okay volkanovsky obviously took the bad loss to Machev. right short notice fight listen stuff happens i thought he was going to come in here and grind out sure and that did not happen to priya decided to stand with him throw some hands and got him. I mean, the clean shot too. Oh my god, yeah. So the question marks now become where are we going from here, and especially with Volkanovski, at 35 years old, uh-huh. he's got tread on the tires. Yes, he does. Two very bad losses. Uh huh. I'm not saying he's done, but. Where do you think he's going now?
1: Well, uh, looking at the rankings on UFC.com/slash/rankings, uh, Topura, is, as we mentioned, is the champion. Number one ranked fighter is Alexander Volkanovski. Yeah, you can make an argument, and you can make a, you know, conversation about having a rematch. You know, I wouldn't be against it, but you know, we'll see. Uh, but if you choose not to go that way, uh, number two ranked fighter is Max Holloway. Three is Yair Rodriguez. Four is Brian Ortega. Five is uh, Movsar Evolev. Six is Arnold Allen. Seven is Josh Emmett. Eight is Calvin Kattar. Nine is Giga uh, Chickadezi, uh, and then ten is Bryce Mitchell. Hmm. So, I mean, you can make the argument. Of course, of course, we'll get to this in a minute. With if if uh, things go down a certain way. Uh, here in, in April at UFC 300, there's a certain fighter on that card that I mentioned already. I mean, if, if if that fight goes a certain way for that certain fighter I mentioned in those rankings, you can make an argument. All right, hey, because that fighter, uh, spoiler alert, Max Holloway, fairly highly ranked. So if you don't want to go the immediate rematch with Volkanovski, if, if for some reason Volkanovski doesn't want to or for whatever reason uh, Ilya doesn't want to, you, if, if Holloway wins his fight at 300, even though it is for a meaningless belt, mm-hmm. you can make an argument for that.
0: Well, I think for Volkanovski, I think it's a wait and see. Uh, I hate saying this, but I think it's it's the truth because you can either start recycling fighters he's defeated at 145, yeah, and he becomes a you know the benchmark to get through, yeah, or he goes up to 155 and takes his shot up there. Which he did not do that badly against Machev, but Machev's right. on a different level. Right. I mean, that's that's the argument you have. Like, how would he do against a Justin Gaethje, or how would he do against a Michael Chandler? Right. That's the kind of fights I think that he might want to take a shot at, because, like I say, he's on that back end of the career. Right. And especially if his chin is starting to go, I don't think fighting somebody on like the skill set of Tapria or going against a Max Holloway again would really make a lot of sense. Right. I think for in Tapria's sense, I think it's clear cut. It's going to be Max Holloway if he can beat Gaethje.
1: I mean, clearly Tapura, whatever he wants to do, can fluctuate between weight classes because I'm looking at his uh, his mixed martial arts record. And in the notes, it does mention uh, his very first fight for West Coast Warriors in April 2015 was his featherweight debut. So he has gone as low as he has fought at featherweight. Then you look, he's fought at bantamweight, and he's fought at lightweight. Well, like so he can't fluctuate if he want, if he want, doesn't want to stick around in this division and wants to go someplace else.
0: Yeah, but I think he wants to stay in that division for that a while. That would make sense. And I think he's going to take whoever the UFC gives him. To. I mean, honestly, if it's going to be Max Holloway, if he beats Gaethje, then he's going to do that. If it's not, he's literally going to take who's next. And yeah. I don't think he's picky about who he wants to fight. Not at this point. I just don't think that they would do an immediate rematch. They might try pushing that, which, I mean, if they did, I wouldn't be that upset about it. if no. has earned that right. I just don't think they're going to because especially no. if you get beat in that manner,
1: right? It, it's not like there was anything ticky tacky, yeah.
0: real close. If it would have gone another way,
1: you know, outcome would have been different. Yeah, there, like, there's nothing controversial. Like there's nothing controversial behind it where it's like, oh my god, you need to run it back.
0: Yeah, exactly. So that's the problem the UFC has now with this matchup, and I think for for Volkanovski, like it, it's a shame to say, and I didn't think I was going to be saying it, but now, you know, he's in limbo. Yeah. And I think he's got to wait to see about how some some fights shake out. That he's going to be just taking the scraps, and that's such a disservice to say to him for such a great career. But unfortunately, that's the state of the game right now.
1: Fuck it, go up a weight class, fight
0: Islam. I mean, he did last time and he got rocked. You can't like that's the situation. He's going to have to get somebody in that top five, maybe of the the lightweight division.
1: Yeah. Well, put it this way. Uh, we mentioned about Michael Chandler showing up on Monday Night Raw and calling out Conor McGregor. If, for whatever reason, Conor McGregor decides not to fight, could always fight Chandler.
0: That's what I say. Like that might be Chandler's a, like, five. Yeah, it just depends on when Conor is ready to fight. But, <laughs> but even Tapria called out Conor.
1: At this point, you and I can call out Conor and he won't answer. Yeah.
0: So, like I say, it's, there's just so much uncertainty coming out of UFC 298. Yeah. We'll have to wait to see how how some fights shape up, and then yeah. you know whoever's left on the scraps, so to speak. Yep. That's where we kind of see where some fighters are going to be plugging and playing. Yep. But like we said, all roads now, even though we had two pay-per-views, everybody's talking UFC 300. Yes. We do have some fights that were announced for that, so, Pat, let's get into them.
1: Yeah, so I think at this point, this is the final list of fighters we're going to be fighting on UFC 300, taking place April 13th, 2024, from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, so the fight, as, card as we know it, obviously things are going to fluctuate who fights where about the fight. Card as we know it, you've got in the lightweight division, Bobby Green taking on Jim Miller.
0: That's going to be a fun fight.
1: In the women's strawweight division, Jessica Andrade taking on Marina Rodriguez.
0: Excellent fight.
1: Featherweight division, Sodik Yusuf taking on Diego Lopez. Okay. Women's bantamweight division, Holly Holm taking on Kayla Harrison.
0: Yes, that's going to be a oh, monster one to watch. Box office.
1: Uh, Bantamweight division, Devison Figueiredo taking on Cody Garbrandt.
0: And Bantamweight, too. So that uh-huh. good, good good weight cut up for uh, Figueiredo. Middleweight, Bo
1: Nical taking on Cody uh, Brundage.
0: Okay, well, Bo's one of their big guys right now.
1: Featherweight, Calvin Qatar taking on Algermaine Sterling.
0: Good fight for Sterling.
1: Light heavyweight division, Jiri uh, Procheca taking on Alexander Rakic.
0: That will be violent. <laughs> That's just gonna be violent. Yeah,
1: lightweight division: Charles Oliveira taking on Arman Tsarukin. Uh,
0: so this, I think, is a title eliminator. Winner gets Suppo- supposedly Machev. Uh,
1: then in the lightweight division for the symbolic BMF title or the Baddest Motherfucker, uh, you've got Justin Gaethje defending his belt against Max Holloway.
0: A lot of hands being thrown in this one. Oh, yeah. I like Gaethje, though, to be I, I don't you. think
1: this one's going the distance. I'm going to say that right now. Uh,
0: it could be, but I don't want to see it go there. Like, Let me just put it this way. There's going to be a lot of blood in that cage. Yes.
1: Uh, then in the women's strawweight division, in the co-main event, you've got Zhang Weili defending her belt against Yan Nan.
0: This is a main event anywhere in the world. Yes. Uh, I can't wait to see this one.
1: And then in your main event of the evening for the light heavyweight championship,
0: Alex Pereira taking on Jamal Hall-Hill. We are living in interesting times. Yeah, we are. Perea, I mean, think about his run in the UFC right now. Taking on Hill, if he beats him, solidifying his status uh, as a light heavyweight champion. Yeah. And just to think where he's been now, a double champ.
1: Carrera hasn't even fought fifteen matches professionally. Yeah, it's insane. What the fuck?
0: I mean, he's he's a kickboxing specialist. Well, yeah, but still, like the fact that he's on this you know astronomical run right now, it will be interesting to see if Hill will take him down. Yeah, if he can get that close without taking some shots, ah, I'll, I'll have a better feeling when I when I start seeing some training footage. Yes, but still, um, not really the craziest main event of all time.
1: No, I mean it, it's a little. If I had to rank him, you know, this might be over 100 for me, but below 200. Yeah, you because know, I remember when UFC 200 came out, we were looking at the card and going, like, okay, we we're obviously going to see the main event, the main card. Hope, but holy shit, we need to watch the prelims. And then, oh my god, we even need to watch the early prelims that are on like Fight Pass or whatever, whatever the hell it was at that point. Yeah, this one, like, there's some names and there's some obvious interest there, but like, I'm not looking at this going, oh my god, this is the greatest card I've seen in a, in a while. Yeah. It's
0: good, though. It's good. It's very good, and it's going to be one that UFC, I mean, obviously the fact they got the 300 is astonishing in its own right. Wild. lot of stories to be talking about for the UFC in the upcoming months, but in the meantime, though, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag OdiePagePod. What is your thoughts and takeaways from UFC 298? We definitely want to have your breakdown about where everybody's going after that, and thoughts on the 300 card as it stands right now. It's always card subject to change, but until then, what's your, what's your takes on this? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom
2: from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideboom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH podcast. Wanna go out no one?
0: Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got?
1: Got a couple things to talk about. First of which is obviously sports in the local minute and looking at the standings for the Federal Prospects Hockey League. That is, of course, the the league, our local Binghamton Black Bears plan. Another week. Binghamton still in first place. Let's go Uh, through 36 games played. They have a record of uh, 24 regulation regulation wins. Excuse me. Five losses, six losses in overtime. No overtime wins and one shootout win. Uh, They have 80 points. Um, They are ahead of Motor City in second place with 65 points. Danbury in third place with 55 points. Elmira in fourth place with 43 points, and Watertown in last place with 38 points. So I would say pretty commanding lead, all things considered. I'd say so. Uh, and looking at their schedule from this past week, they had a whole host of games this past week. Uh, Friday, February 9th, they were on the road playing the Motor City Rockers, where they won by the final score of 7-5. to Came back Saturday against those same Motor City Rockers on the road. Lost this time by the final score of 3-1. to Came back Sunday on the road playing the Elmira River Sharks, uh, lost by the final score of six to three. Shook off the losing streak though. Came back on Wednesday, February fourteenth, uh, against the Elmira River Sharks, ten to two. Jesus. <laughs> Defense and goaltending optional, clearly. Uh, looking ahead to their schedule, they have this upcoming week. A couple of games this weekend. Uh, they're at home for two of them. Friday, February 23rd, 7 o'clock Eastern. They're at home against the Watertown Wolves. Back home Saturday on February 24th at 7 o'clock Eastern to take on those same Watertown Wolves. Then they're on the road Sunday, February 25th at 3 p.m. Eastern, taking on the Danbury Hat Tricks. And then it's going to be a little bit of a break. So if you want to catch them, catch them this weekend because they will not be home again until Friday, March 15th so about a little two week uh, two week road, road trip road trip if you will uh, so for more tickets information all that good stuff binghamtonblackbears.com and we got to talk a little bit of baseball although nothing current baseball a little baseball history okay uh, because this year for those of you who have been watching baseball long enough may or may not remember uh, marks the and sorry Montreal fans, marks the 20th anniversary of the Montreal Expos leaving Montreal and traveling to Washington. Uh, So reading from an article on Variety.com says, quote, Netflix has picked up an untitled documentary about the Montreal Expos and the events surrounding the Major League Baseball team's departure in 2004. The doc, which the streamer has confirmed exclusively to Variety, reps Netflix's next original project out of Canada. The dock is the first green lit under Netflix's new creative partnership with Montreal-based Attraction. Netflix signed a first look deal with Attraction last November for French language film projects to be developed and produced by the company. Jean-Francois Poisson will direct the untitled baseball dock. Marie Christine Pouliot, Attraction's head producer, documentary, and Richard Spear, president of attraction, will executive produce. According to Netflix, the film explores the setbacks that led to the departure of the Expos from Montreal and how the loss of an MLB team in Montreal continues to spark debate 20 years later. Some of those setbacks included feed disputes between the city and Expos owner Jeffrey Loria over a new stadium, the firing of beloved longtime manager Felipe Alou, and historic switcheroo in which Loria brought the Miami Marlins, Uh, My Marlins owner, John Henry, bought the Boston Red Sox and the MLB purchased the Expos. After several more twists, the Expos officially became the Washington Nationals in 2005 and moved to D.C., close quote. I am super interested in this just because I know it's a touchy subject for those in Montreal, but just I've never really heard outside of what's been reported on TV and in the newscasts and whatever else during the day. I've never kind of heard the behind the scenes stuff, so I'm interested to learn about this.
0: Yeah, this is definitely gonna be something to watch. 20 yeah. years, man. Twenty years. Oh yeah. This is gonna be something definitely fans of even if you're outside of baseball, this is gonna be yeah. something to really get into. Because I mean, obviously, Montreal Expo is one of the best, yes. you know, uh logos of all time. Oh my god, yeah. And before we get into this next uh segment, we actually have somebody jumping in. Dare I say, is he? Off the Cuff?
2: What do you mean coming at you live and direct straight from the beautiful ODPH is in the 607? Tis I, Off the Cuff Tom. Thank you so very much for having me.
0: All right, so Tom is going to be joining us. Grab a chair, sit down, my friend, because we are going to be talking about a big movie casting announcement that just Uh went down. So, Pad, why don't we get into it? This is
1: the one we've been waiting for, and these sons of bitches decided to drop it to us on a random Wednesday in the month of February. Out of the blue. It, it was like ten in the morning, I think it was. Yeah. It was super it was super random. And it was on nothing but a social media post. No mm. fanfare. Nothing really doable. I love it. that. It was just out of the blue. But Marvel Studios announced it's fantastic four. Yes. Uh, so reading from an article on Variety.com, quote, The Superhero Quartet, the first characters created by Marvel for Marvel Comics by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, will be portrayed by Pedro Pascal as Reed Richards, uh, a.k.a. Mr. Fantastic. Vanessa Kirby as Sue Storm, a.k.a. The Invisible Woman. Joseph Quinn as Johnny Storm, a.k.a. The Human Torch. And Ebon Moss uh, Brock Breakitch as Ben Grimm, a.k.a. The Thing. As part of the casting announcement, Disney has swapped the release dates of the Fantastic Four, now set for July 25th, 2025, and Thunderbolts, now set for May 2nd, 2025. Those are two of four Marvel temples currently set to open in 2025, along with Captain America Brave New World in February and Blade in November. Four Marvel films are also scheduled for 2026, including Avengers, the Kang Dynasty. Uh, That's a ramp up from 2024. Marvel only has Deadpool and Wolverine four theaters on July 26th. Close quote.
0: Tom, your thoughts since you're just joining us in.
1: Oh wow, Pedro Pascal
2: is Mr. Fantastic. Like we didn't freaking see it coming. Who are the other two people? I don't care. The thing. The ever-loving blue-eyed thing. The kid from Yancey Street is the perfect typecasting I have seen Marvel do in a very, very freaking long time. And I cannot tell you, I am so excited for this. I literally was hooting and hollering. This was the day after I found out that my car was totaled. And only because of that good news, I was scampering through my living room, through my kitchen. Seriously having little girl i'm
1: not kidding yes chef pad i oh, don't no, i'm excited for this i'm interested to see kind of where they go i love the vibe that we're kind of getting from the poster they put out it's got like a 60s vibe to it you know late maybe late 50s something R- to that very norman rockwell yeah yeah i love it i'm excited to see it and uh it's good to finally get this out of the way
0: I am so excited about this. Pedro Pascal is perfect for this role. I know everybody wanted John Krasinski, but listen, Pedro Pascal will knock this out of the park in his sleep. Vanessa Kirby, who you know from the Hobbs and Shaw film, oh yeah, I think is vastly underrated. I think she's going to step her game up and really give Sue Storm the proper justice because uh, I'm super excited to see her finally on screen. Joseph Quinn, we know from Stranger Things. He better come out in one scene for Metallica. That's all I'm putting out there. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the casting there. And, of course, if you've seen The Bear, you know Ben Grimm is in safe hands. Oh, I am gosh. absolutely super stoked about this. We don't need to announce a Doom casting. I don't care right now. I think he won't be the major part of the the, the movie at this stage. We'll get an, um, you know maybe a mention, Could but, be. but I don't think we're going to get him. I'm just going to be interesting to see how they jump from 1960s to present time because you know that's going to happen. Well, I would time say travel.
2: Mole Man would be a good one. Like let, let's just seriously throw it back to like the first Fantastic 4. Like let's go for it. Yeah. You know, why we have such big expectations all of us, you know, Marvel nerd fans, why not, you know, do something a little bit more low key and see what they can do with it.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, fully agree, and you know what? I don't mind them juggling around the schedule either. No, neither do I. It makes perfect sense. This is your this is your real franchise right here. So go ahead.
1: Yeah. Uh, then we had a trailer drop today for a movie. I when they announced it, I was like, oh, fuck yes. And then they announced the cast, and I was like, ooh, maybe not. But then I'm like, you know what? I'll with judge hold withhold judgment until I see the trailer. The trailer came out for Borderlands, of course, the movie based on the video game from the folks over at Gearbox and 2K. And I gotta say. I'm at least a little optimistic about this because the trailer admittedly looks good. I was, you know, playing uh, the movie is going to be directed by Eli Roth. uh, But you've got Kevin Hart playing Roland, Jamie Lee Curtis playing Tannis, Jack Black playing uh, Claptrap, Ariana Greenblatt playing Tiny Tina. uh, Kate Blanchett is Lilith. uh, Gina Gershon is Moxie. You know, and it's based on the video game name on um, franchise of the same name. And I and I gotta admit, when they announced this, I was like, like I said, fuck yes. And then they announced Kevin Hart's in this, and I'm like, ooh, they're gonna go for hard comedy, aren't they? But if you watch the trailer, Kevin Hart does do some of those Kevin Hart things you would expect, mm-hmm. but he does appear to take the role of Roland. Seriously, because if you've ever played the video games, Roland's the the military type, he's the super serious, you know, linchpin leader, whatever that like he cracks his jokes in the trailer because ultimately you can't have a super serious movie all the way through. There's got to be some comedic moments. And Kevin Hart does play those up. You know, there's one point they're traveling through a a, uh Wasteland type thing, where uh, certain liquid gets sprayed into the car, and 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 the girl goes, "Oh my God, it's in my mouth!" And he goes, "Why do you think it's called this?" Like, like it makes sense. I'm I'm excited for this. I will say, if you can catch Marcus in the trailer, holy shit! Kudos to the costume team because the actor they got playing Marcus, a gentleman named Benjamin Byron Davis. Oh my God, they did such a good job of making him look like Marcus from the video game. This this looks like it could be good. I'm optimistic.
2: It actually interests me to, to play the game, you know it's it's a lot of people you know no, I prefer games that have a really good story mm-hmm. and borderlands to me is one of those games that you know is more hey, let's do online, let's do one v one two v two squads up, so this actually gives me the opportunity to just, like. Well, let me understand the mythos. Let me understand the Lord. Let me go back and, you know, up my PlayStation Plus account and see what free games I can get out of it, just so I have some semblance. Uh, with the cast, I'm interested. I must agree. Uh, Kevin Hart, a lot of people know I am not a huge fan. He knows how to play one line. Um, uh-huh. Short, loud, and
1: yeah, Kevin he, Hart. He's like he's uh, like The Rock. He plays himself.
2: Yeah. And don't get me wrong. He can be a good actor when he is forced to act. Uh-huh. Put it that way. But all-star cast. Super excited. Hopefully, you know, we've had a string of relatively good video game movie adaptations. You know, yeah. Uncharted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, whole, it yeah. wasn't a blockbuster, but it was, it was solid. It was good. You know, I liked the new Tomb Raider movies. Uh, that's just me. So I'm I'm interested to see where it goes. Yeah.
0: No, it looks solid. I was very impressed for being a video game movie. I'm definitely going to give it a watch.
1: Yeah. Uh, and then sticking with movies and something that, God, WB hates making money, don't they? Mm. Uh, we had the artist for uh, Spider-Verse reveal concept art for a Batman Beyond feature film pitch. Uh, yeah, he uh, tweeted out. Uh, tweet came out yesterday as we record, quote, five months ago, Patrick Harpin went to, into WB Pictures and pitched a Batman Beyond animated feature. Before we pitched, they warned us there is absolutely no way we can do a Beyond movie, but they loved our enthusiasm. We pitched the... Uh, loading the actual tweak here because the article won't load the whole thing. Doing it live, folks. I got the article. Uh, Here we go. Uh, Before we pitched, they warned us there is absolutely no way we can do a Beyond movie, but they loved our enthusiasm. We pitched the outline for the entire film, and what was started as a never turned into a maybe. In the time since, we've been pitching our way up the company, hoping to get to James Gunn. But for now, here's a taste of what we've been cooking. Uh, like and share if you want to see a Batman Beyond anime, animated feature in theaters. And I got to say, the the concept art they included, fucking give it to me. Yeah. Oh, my God. This looks incredible.
0: One
2: word, shway. <laughs>
1: yeah. It is shway.
0: Yes, it is. It's very shway. Oh,
1: my God. WB hates making money. Yeah, they just crashed the mode.
0: Yeah. I I, 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 We're not behind a Patreon wall. I can't really say my thoughts right now. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, then, uh, in more streaming news, uh, we got a release day for umbrella Academy season four. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Season four, uh, coming on uh, the final season coming on Thursday, August 8th. Super excited for this.
0: Obviously big fans of that here at the ODPH. Tom, yeah. you like that? Very much so.
2: I really enjoyed the, the, uh, posters that they
1: put out earlier this yes.
2: week as you saw them walking through their lives, starting yes. off yes. with the, uh, uniforms and now into where they're going to be at the end of the show. So I'm really, really excited.
0: Yeah. Nothing but big wins there. Oh God. Yeah.
1: Then we got some breaking news from the folks over at Collider and uh star Wars. The acolyte has a tentative release date. Really? Yeah. So this is an exclusive from Collider uh, where it reads quote, following our report that the upcoming star Wars series, the acolyte would be launching this summer. Collider has learned the acolyte is currently slated to debut on Disney plus on June 5th, 2024. Disney's representatives did not deny or confirm our reporting when reached for comment. Uh, the Acolyte, which hails from creator Leslie Headland, is a mystery thriller that will take viewers into a galaxy of shadowy secrets and emerging dark side powers in the final days of the High Republic era. During the show, a former Padawan will reunite with her Jedi Master to investigate a series of crimes, but the forces they confront are more sinister than they ever anticipated. The show will be set 100 years before the events of the Star Wars prequel trilogy, a time which is known as the High Republic, close quote.
0: Definitely exciting news so there. Super excited for that.
2: Pads and I could probably go bouncing back and forth who could be in there, especially just 100 years before this
1: the normal trilogy. So. Um Yoda's about the only one I can confirm. Yeah, mm. yeah. so you got to figure you out.
2: Do it. There. Just do it. They're the dark side. They have cookies. Yes. yes.
1: Uh, then in some surprising video game news that was announced today that I don't think anybody saw coming. Coming March 14th, uh, Star Wars Battlefront Classic Collection. Hmm. Yeah, so reading from the article on StarWars.com, quote, Grab your gear and your controller, soldiers. It's time to return to the Battlefront. During today's Nintendo Direct, Asper and Lucasfilm Games revealed Star Wars Battlefront Classic Collection which will see the beloved Star Wars Battlefront 2004 and Star Wars Battlefront 2 2005 introduced to a new generation, coming March 14th for Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, Xbox Series X slash S, Xbox One, and PC via Steam for $35.01, Uh, Star Wars Battlefront Classic Collection features restored online play for up to 64 players, expansions to Hero Assault Mode, and all previously released bonus content for both titles. Steam users will also enjoy Steam Deck support. Star Wars Battlefront Classic Collection includes a galaxy of content inspired by the original and prequel trilogies, from famous battles across episodes 1 through 6, to playable heroes and villains like Asajj Ventress, Darth Vader, and more to unique modes and challenges uh see below for a full breakdown of what to look forward to uh for look to look forward including previously console exclusive extras now included on all platforms so this is the dlc uh that was from what i remember was only included on the xbox version nobody else got this so the original battlefront game is going to include the bonus map java's palace star wars battlefront 2 is going to include the bonus maps bespin cloud city renvar harbor Renvar Citadel and Yavin 4 Arena which were maps originally in the original Battlefront but then they brought them to Battlefront 2 Uh, and then it's going to include the bonus heroes Asajj Ventress and Kit Fisto. So basically it looks like it's an updated version of Battlefront 1 Battlefront 2. I'm super fucking excited this. I cannot tell you how many hours I put into Battlefront 2 on PlayStation 2 way back in the
0: day. Yeah. It's a
1: lot. Uh, So I'm excited
0: for this. Yeah. Can't wait to check this one out.
1: Yeah.
2: It's Star Wars Skyrim. Yeah. It, it's yeah. going to happen. We're, yeah. we're still going to keep getting this game. It yeah. is a classic. It's just going to keep outliving itself. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Then we got the trailer for a show I think all three of us have been highly anticipated for and waiting for. X-Men 97. Yes. Oh, my God. This looks good. Not going to lie. like The animation style, it looks like they tried to keep it to that, that 90s feel, but still gave it kind of like a modern look to it. I'm I'm mm. excited for
0: this. Yeah, this looked incredible. I can't wait to start watching this. Uh,
1: arrives on March 20th.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: And then lastly, certainly not leastly... Either today as you're listening to this or tomorrow, if you're listening to this on the day of release, we get the long-anticipated release for the Avatar, The Last Airbender uh, live-action series dropping on February 22nd. All eight episodes will be dropping on the on the day of release. On Netflix. On Netflix. And I got to admit, I'm kind of excited for this. I know there's some criticisms with the uh, special effects, and in some scenes, yeah, it doesn't look that great. But from what I've read and what I've seen and what I've heard from some folks who were at the uh, premiere for the first episode, fucking amazing. Let, let put it this way: It can't be any worse than the piece of garbage M Night Shyamalan gave us in 2010. Shh, we don't talk about that. Yes, there is no movie in Bossing Se. <laughs> there is no movie in Bossing se Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited for this. It should be good. I I did like the video IGN put out today where it's some of the actors with the OG voice actors mm. at the premiere. That was nice. I'm I'm excited for this. It sh- it should be good.
2: It I'm should down.
0: It, it should be but definitely
2: okay. Yeah. See you. That's all I need. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. So we got to get into some comic picks before we get on out of here. So, Pad, what you grabbing at the shops this week?
1: Uh, Nightwing, issue number 111. Is Tom Taylor still writing? Then, yes, I'm still reading. Uh, quote, something's very wrong with Nightwing, and it's starting to catch up to him. Can the world's greatest detective help him figure out what's going on before it's too late? Plus, the plague has left the 14th century uh, Europe in chaos. As a young man known only as the son of Grey hunts the man who killed his father, a story of revenge told in two parts. Hmm. Tom Taylor still writing Nightwing, it's still good. Yes, uh, and then for the folks over at Marvel, you've got Star Wars issue number forty three. Is Charles Soule still writing Star Wars? Yes, then it's still good. Uh, quote: A Sith in the Mind's Eye. Luke Skywalker is trapped deep behind enemy lines, haunted by a rogue Sith who sees the nascent Jedi Knight as his chance at a new ascendancy. How will Luke survive? And who will be? Who will he be if he does? Super excited for that. And lastly, certainly not leastly, uh, you've got James Bond 007 Volume 1, Issue Number 2, from the folks over at uh, Dynamite Comics, written by Garth Ennis. Quote. As 007 tracks the trail of destruction left by the deadly compound uh, Stalvoda and learns more about its origins, he faces another kill squad determined to stop him in his tracks. But as his quarry leads him higher than he's ever been before, Bond soon discovers that facing gunmen on terra firma is vastly preferable to freeze to the freezing hell of outer space. Close
0: quote. Exciting stuff coming up from Dynamite there. Absolutely. Definitely. Tom, what you grabbing at the shops this week?
2: Well, of course, Lair Ham is still writing in that wonderful G.I. Joe. You can check out my review over on nerdinitiative.com. It is going to be a wonderful thing. After everything that we saw in 303 with a susceptible murder of two very important characters, don't worry, it was just pasta night. Also, on top of that, IDW is bringing out a four-volume source book for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. This is going to be a beautiful piece to have on your shelf, your coffee table, or In your party wagon or lair.
0: Yes, absolutely. Great picks right there. For me, a triple shot from DC. Batman 144, the year of the Joker, is finally done. We get the conclusion of that story. Uh, Definitely one, if you're a longtime fan of the Joker, it's got a lot in there for you as well. So love how they cap that one off. Batman, Superman, World's Finest, number 24, capping off the return to Kingdom Come. So Mark Waid, Dan Mora doing it proper justice. uh, Excellent issue. And Superman 11... Uh, Joshua Williamson and the story that he's been crafting there. Uh, David Bellone is on the artwork for this one. And a lot of stuff is p- uh, picking up since his return from the wild, wild west. Just putting that out there from distillery, blasphemous number one. So this is one from Mikra and and this is a little wild mix of like pop culture, horror, and humor. And it's, there's a lot going on with this book. So if you're looking for something a little different, that's going to be right up your alley. And from Marvel Comics, Rise of the Powers of Ten, number two. So the end of the Kirkoan era is coming to a screeching halt. We are set in the future. And after last issue, well, we get a little more uh, idea of where Charles Xavier is planning on doing to fixing the mess that has started there. Uh, with the Fall of X. Ooh. So a lot of exciting things to pick up at the comic shops this week, and we always like to say make sure and go out to support your LCS wherever you're at because it's New Comic Book Day, and we don't have New Comic Book Day without a shop to go to. Facts. For anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. That's it for this week. So for the one and only, Pat <gasps> Fuck the Astros. For the one and only, Off the Cuff Tom. Okay, bye-bye. I'm your host, Ken. And thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast. We'll see you next time.
2: such a waste of time, swiping left and swiping right on people you could know. Cause anyone who's worth a damn view worth way more than a picture could ever show. You can find the right light, find the right angle, and never find your soul. And it can feel like a losing battle, and this plot is full of holes. This modern way of finding love Just makes me feel so alone And I can't be the only one Sick of staring at my phone So look up, talk to me time fable everyone has just one true love all I know is you're across this table and you're all I'm thinking of so look up talk to- Swipe and right on people you could know whoa, oh, whoa.